Welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin, and today we have a special treat because uh, I'm joined by not only Joey, but also our good friend, Scott. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Hey. Hey, thanks uh, for bringing me on. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Excited to be here. Yes, excited super- to have you. <laughs> yes, yeah, we're super excited to have Scott here, and today we're going to be discussing Solo, a Star Wars story, the latest Star Wars movie from the uh, mega production company known as Disney, uh, their latest iteration in the Star Wars series. Still in theaters. And uh, yeah, so a, a pretty highly anticipated movie, but um, some mixed reviews coming out of it. So I, I think it's definitely a movie worth having a conversation about. Yeah. Uh, Joey, working at a movie theater, has access to movies that are in theaters. Uh, a little bit more than the average moviegoer, so uh, I think he may have the most solid understanding of at least the events in this movie. So, do you want to start us off with the synopsis there, Joey? Yeah, sure. I mean, I saw this movie three times, but I also fell asleep twice watching it, so (laughs) I don't know if I'm the most qualified, but I, I will do my best here. I'll play the role. Okay, the synopsis. We'll start with that. All right. Spoilers ahead. In this Star Wars prequel, we follow a young Han Solo as he attempts to escape his home world of Corellia with his love interest, Kira. Han bribes his way through the Empire checkpoint, but he and Kira become separated when she is forced to stay behind. With no other options to escape, Han enlists in the Empire. Three years later, Han is in the midst of a war and desperate to get out. He discovers a small band of outlaws led by a man named Tobias Beckett in the middle of a job. Han convinces them to take him on. However, the job goes south because of an interference from a a marauder group called Infest Nest. Two team members are killed, and the valuable payload is lost. Beckett reveals that the job was for the powerful crime syndicate Crimson Dawn, led by the intimidating Dryden Voss. Beckett and Han decide to meet with Dryden to plead for a second chance. While on Dryden's space yacht, they discover Kira, who now works closely with Dryden. Dryden agrees to give Han and Beckett another chance, and sends Kira with them for insurance. In order to complete the job, they need a ship, so they employ a retired smuggler, Lando Calrissian, and his ship, the Millennium Falcon, to help. After some close calls, they complete the job, and it's time to pay Dryden. But before he can arrive, they are again interrupted by Infest's nest. The marauders reveal that they aren't heartless pirates, but refugees seeking to undermine the criminal syndicates that destroyed their homes. Han is won over by their sob story and plots to betray Dryden. Beckett decides it's time to cut and run and leaves Han and Kira to face Dryden alone. Dryden anticipates Han's betrayal because Beckett tipped him off, but Han anticipated Beckett's betrayal and took measures to ensure he still had the upper hand. This ends with Dryden dead, Beckett escaping, and the payload and uh, uh, Beckett escaping with the payload and Han chasing Beckett. Kira stays behind to begin a running Crimson Dawn herself but she now must deal with Dryden's boss, Darth Maul. Han kills Beckett and gives the magical MacGuffin juice to the Infest Nest, and the movie ends with Han winning the Millennium Falcon in a card game against Lando. There you go. I, um, 
You may have noticed I left out a big por- part of the story, and um, I want to talk about that first, and that's uh, Chewbacca. All right, so wh- why did you feel the need to leave out Chewie? Because he doesn't do anything. He's, such, he's in the background the whole time. This is like, if this is supposed to be a buddy cop movie, then one of the buddies is just like not even in the story. Like, uh, like Chewie's agency in this movie is totally undercut by just like all the stuff that Han does for him. Like Han volunteers to like face Dryden, like volunteers Chewie to face Dryden with him. He doesn't consult Chewie at all. He's just like, hey, we'll, yeah, we'll do this together, right, Chewie? And Chewie's like, you know, like, whatever. Well, uh, Joey, do you think, because you remember at the end of Return of the Jedi, um, I guess, is that a spoiler to spoil other Star Wars movies that came before Go this one? got to be. At the end of Return <laughs> of the Jedi, there's kind of a running joke because Chewbacca never gets a medal. They give right. a medal to, like, all the human characters, but then Chewbacca doesn't get a medal. So I think he's just, like, he's just a, he was never really a primary character, and we always hoped he would be. And maybe this is just a salute to that. <laughs> he was never I, a real I, character. That's really interesting. There are, like, I feel like there are salutes. I feel like this movie attempts to be subversive in some ways, but I feel like this is not one of them. Sure. Um, and it's interesting you say that, too. But, like, I feel like the relationship between... Han and Beckett is really well developed and the relationship between Han and Lando is really well developed like you understand how their, their relationship is so much better by the end of the movie but you but like Han and Chewie like Chewie's just there like you know he doesn't it's not like he does a lot of stuff in the movie he like does save some Wookiees at one point and then chooses to be with Han and there is that really nice moment when he's flying the ship with Han but other than that like can you name so a they, single thing that he does well, that's I'm with you. I think it's interesting because like Star Wars lore wise, um, there's like this big concept of uh, of a Wookiee life debt, and that's what you're made to believe uh. Chewbacca owes to Han. And the concept is like if you were to save him, like if when Han saves right. Chewbacca, what I always believed was true based on how I understand Star Wars was that Chewbacca then like gave his life as a you know si- essentially as a sidekick. He like offered himself to to protect. Uh, Han, which is a uh, like a, that shows right, up in other Star Wars canon and stuff, but the uh, um, classic um, Star Wars uh, line uh, from the one of our favorite uh, Star Wars characters, Misa owe you a life debt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. See, so it's it's pervasive throughout the Star okay, Wars. Okay. Yeah. No, I can lore. accept that. I I'm looking for something to excuse this movie because I feel well, like. Well, so but that that's what I believed was true, but okay. they never said it. And they made no effort to say it, and they kind yeah. of, like, brushed off the fact that Han saved Chewbacca. I mean, I have a lot to say about when he first encounters him, but maybe that... No, uh, go ahead. What, what, do you, what do you want to talk about? This, <laughs> I feel like I, it's possible for me to take a podcast, your podcast and go on a tangent for, like, three Please hours. Please do. We, we want to hear from you, Scott. I have some thoughts about the... So... so Han decides he's going to join the military and join the and tries to become a pilot. Now when he, okay. he's admitted to the the Imperial Navy oh, as a pilot after 35 seconds without an interview or a physical of any kind because that's <laughs> apparently at this stage they're in desperate, the Empire's man. life. Yeah, apparently they're not. And then he ends up we cut apparently he had years of training where sure. he didn't do very well or something. Shows up on a planet, and the military is in complete disarray. There's absolutely no discipline. I have no idea what their objectives are on this planet. They're just a disaster. And that's, like, so against what the Empire is supposed Anyway. <laughs> no, okay, then yeah, Han that is count as potentially deserting. So he's thrown into a pit with another prisoner, which I really have no... We have no reason to believe, because 
uh, Wookiees mm. are like sentient yeah. alien species. We have no reason to believe that Chewbacca is just going to kill. He's not like a giant hound or something. He's just like a guy who's in a cage yeah. too. I didn't understand how that was supposed to go, and like nobody else was there and knew what was happening. So. It, there might have only been four people on the entire base. It was the guy who caught him, and then the two guys who stood above them and watched Chewbacca, and then Chewie, and then anyway. Yeah. And so no, then, you, so they get out, but it's like I don't really understand the mechanic of this cage. Also, this is like a forward hmm. base. So why were they? Why did they set up this underground cage for Chewbacca? Is they where they keep moving him in an underground cage every time yeah, they move bases? Well, why was Chewbacca <laughs> there? Right? What planet are they on? And and like. This was Chewbacca fighting. Was he like on the other side, and they, he was a prisoner of war? But he's like a beast, you know. Yeah, it's, getting, cl- oh. it's clear that uh, Han wasn't the first guy to get thrown down there, right? Weren't there bones, the remains of like Chewbacca's previous victims? Apparently, he's eaten people. He yeah, hasn't that's been fed a new in three thing days. we just learned is that Chewbacca just eats people every, when he's hungry. Which, uh, well, I, I mean, Han does take a pretty serious beating before him and Chewie team up down there. Like he is, his body bends the metal bar that is used to take down the whole cage. So while there was some good physical comedy, I think that was going on uh, with like when they teamed up, and that was like kind of silly. This yeah. movie is relatively dark, and it, it's kind of confusing to have like realistic. Uh, violence and, and reactions to violence and then like like oh look I threw him against the metal pole and it bent and and he but he's fine you yeah know? Like, exactly that's 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 exactly right like there's he kind of like rolls in the mud a little bit he's like but he's his ribs aren't broken like they actually would be and it's not like he keeps him from running or talking or anything and yeah like what about the whole idea that like Han just speaks uh speaks Wookiee just conveniently oh, I was, oh goodness <laughs> And, but, like, that's why he convinces <laughs> Chewie to do that. But he never speaks Wookiee again, right? Well, he interprets a little bit. But, che- like, Chewie pr- understands English perfectly. He just doesn't speak it. Which, yeah, it, which gives us, like, also brings us to the point where we get the whole why do we call Chewbacca Chewie, right? When, when they're, speaking, <laughs> they're speaking totally different languages to each other. And then he goes, so what's your name? And it's like, you know, and then, which is as a terrible Chewbacca voice, but he does his Chewbacca line and he goes, and then Han is like, Chewbacca. Like, I, I'm not sure if I was intended to be taken seriously, but I laughed out loud because how, what? Whose name, whose name is translated into a different language? Are you kidding me? Like, that just didn't make it. And and of course it's like the. You know, I'm not gonna call you that. You know, of course that's too long. It gives you a, a wacky nickname. Yeah. Okay. So I think that kind of brings up a really good point. Like the biggest problem with this movie is not the execution. I think overall it was executed well. It's the concept itself. Like a Han Solo movie. Like when you picture that in your head, you picture him like going on an adventure with his buddy Chewbacca, and maybe he learns something about himself. But in this movie, it's like, hey. Uh, what are all the things you know about Han Solo? Um, they're all in this movie. Like he, the, he meets Chewbacca, gets his blaster, gets meets Lando, gets the Millennium Falcon, and like a week. Like all of those things makes the Kessel Run. All these things that like make him a like a you know stereotypical badass. This guy that has like all these stories, this smuggler um, extraordinaire. That that's one that's one adventure. That's one thing that happened to him. Yeah, and, and did you get the impression that, like, they were about to go to Tatooine at the end, and then yes. he was going to make the delivery for uh, Jabba, and then he was yes. going to get caught, 
and that's going to be why he was on Tatooine again, and then he meets Luke? Yes, exactly. Like, like, was this I, literally, like you say, this is literally like full stop. This is the end of his entire professional <sighs> smuggling career. It, it might as well be. Like, uh, ever since Rogue One, this is what I've been saying. I can't wait for Star Wars to fill in every second of from episode one to episode six. They've already filled in a lot of it. They don't have that much far to, further to go. I can't wait till they fill in every gap so I can watch, uh, you know, uh, Anakin Skywalker grow old in front of my eyes and die at his <laughs> at his son's hand in in real time. That's what I want to see. Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I came out of. Go ahead, Ben. Well, I I just can't I can't help but roll my eyes at some of these like this is how he got his blaster. This is like uh, so much of Han doesn't extend beyond just his relationship to the rebellion to the Empire. Uh, the whole the thing that makes Han cool is that he was a, you know his own man who he only looked out for himself and maybe his close friends like maybe Chewbacca you know a couple other guys that he's close with. But he's a uh, uh, a, a smuggler first and he looks out for Numero Uno and he mm. changes as a result of getting involved with the rebellion to be the hero character that we come to know and love Ooh. but this movie shows that he's that's always kind of in his thing he's like yeah he's a smuggler who looks out for number one but with just a little bit of persuasion he'll like definitely d like help out the rebellion uh so it, it it like the when we see him in the original movies that's not even the first time he's helped out with the rebellion that's yeah, not, that is such no a character good point. conversion and he didn't turn into a hero yeah. in the in the original trilogy and leia was not his first love or something he he didn't really have to be convinced to love leia i guess and right he was I always didn't... romantic secretly yeah yeah he's... that's such a good point it totally undermines his arc throughout the, the the original trilogy i thought there was one thing coming out of the end of this movie that made me like really upset me and what it was going to mean for the original trilogy which was that there was no reason to believe at the end of this movie that he would want to be a smuggler anymore Right. He wanted to be a pilot. Yeah. I get that, but like he, there's nothing that smuggling did for him. He did not. He's not better off. Uh, like you said, Joey earlier, like Chewie's got no reason to hang out. Like I don't know why he wouldn't be off with Chewie to go save the Wookiees. That seems to fit the narrative more. If he's a, he's this hero and he's saving right. people's, you know, I, it's like he's, why is he going to now guy. go smuggle for a crime lord? <laughs> it doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. If anything, his yeah. what he learned in this movie was that you can't trust intergalactic criminals. That was the whole thing with shooting Woody, Woody Harrelson at the end. Is Woody Harrelson is like, don't don't trust anybody, and it's like, I guess that's character development because now Han doesn't trust Woody Harrelson. But and then he gets into crime because he wants to get money to buy a ship to go back and save and save his, his girlfriend girl. to save Daenerys Targaryen. So yes. yeah. Like, Sand okay, dragon. Well, what so does why he need the care? money from? Why is he gonna go work on a you know outer ring planet, <laughs> Tatooine, which is like a hive of scum and villainy, as they said? Right. <laughs> why are you gonna go work on this planet for what? Uh, what are you gonna get this money to do? Yeah, uh, that's that is such a good point. Um, I hope he takes on Darth Maul. If there's a sequel. Where he well, that, okay, that's Darth the thing. Maul. Okay, that's the thing. Is that I don't want to believe it. But it definitely seems like they were trying to set up a sequel. I think now I think it's going to be the Obi-Wan movie. Okay. But if Han Solo is in the Obi-Wan movie and then they try to play it off in the original trilogy like they'd never met before, but they literally oh, just no. 20 minutes before had just met no. each other. So <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wait, but doesn't doesn't Obi-Wan yeah. pretend that he's never seen 
R2-D2 before? Is it, are they going to try to pass it off that like Obi-Wan is selective memory? Like, he is such a cheeky bastard. On purpose, yeah. <laughs> they're going to be, they're going to refer from to him as Obi-Wan. We've never met Obi-Wan. before from a certain yeah. point of view. He's, he was like just force mind tricking him all, like the whole time to forget that they had ever met each other. Like, oh, they're going to refer to him as Obi-Wan in the Obi-Wan movie and then it's going to end like two minutes before he runs into Luke by the sand, like in yeah. the original trilogy and then he's going to be like Obi-Wan that's not a name I've heard in many years except for last movie that ended 20 minutes ago <laughs> and I mean that that's one of my like problems with the way that they've continued on with the Star Wars movies like making episodes uh, 7, 8, and 9 it makes sense I guess like the, the core of Star Wars has always been like the saga uh, and, and they're continuing that but with the opportunity to make all these other like Star Wars cinematic movies or cinematic universe movies is to explore the deeper lore that exists within Star Wars. I know that they said the books and and the comic books and the video games those are no longer canon. And you know what? If you want to say that Disney, that's fine. But it doesn't mean that the stories can't be rewritten and still be just as far away from the Empire versus the Rebellion. Like yeah. the, those. The, while that's an interesting story and a lot of people love that. There's still a lot of Star Wars that can be just completely original, and uh, you don't have to keep bringing it back to this, and which is where you run into these continuity er- like errors uh, and get everybody frustrated. So uh, it, it sucks to see another Star Wars story, uh, you know, much like uh, Rogue One, where it's it's not it's still part of the the the, the normal Star Wars uh, conflict. It's not necessarily just in the same universe. I liken it to Harry Potter. And the uh, the new Harry Potter movies, yeah, the, the Fantastic Harry- Beats, yes, Beats? Fantastic Beasts and where, Fantastic uh, where to Beats. find them, yeah. Um, <laughs> with that, that you know, it, it had its references to the original works, uh, so that you could still get it's like, oh, they expanded on that aspect, you yeah. know. But it's not. This is you know Harry Potter's dad before he had Harry or something like that. Where uh, and this they, is how he fought Voldemort. Yeah, exactly. It's so, like, like <laughs> this is how they. Um, which is a risk, yeah. but I think it. I think it's uh, you're less likely to disappoint your your core fan base. I honestly don't think it's a risk um, because like everyone loves Harry Potter, and the reason they love it is not like the characters are memorable and everything, but it's because of this magical, complete world that J.K. Rowling like invented, and mm-hmm. then they brought to the big screen. You know, like it's so easy to picture yourself there, um, it just just by watching it and reading along. So, like. Uh, to take to just move that story in a different aspect, you know, say this world is bigger than we ever showed you is just just makes it you know better. I personally didn't really like the Fantastic Beast movie, but I like the idea of it. I feel like that kind of you know work is well appreciated by the, like fans of the of the world, and I don't think Star Wars like trusts its fans to do that. Right? They they have to make a solo movie because you've heard of Solo yep. before, but you don't. They don't have to do that. They just think they have to do that. Yeah, I mean, well, so the problem I have, I guess, with uh, these these a Star Wars story movies that aren't trilogy movies, yeah, mm-hmm. um, is is as you say, Joey. There are some stories I think that would be interesting to hear. Like I I've been a huge supporter of the idea of the Obi Wan movie because I do like Obi Wan Kenobi is a character who deserved more in the original or in the prequels and he didn't yeah. get it and it's cool that they're bringing him back and this is like that would be a salute to fans who said hey please give us something um, and that's why I'm excited Darth Maul's back at the end of this movie because that will be a really interesting story and they've been hashing out parts of that story in the 
Star Wars Rebels cartoons and series, Clone Wars too. And in Clone Wars, they've mm-hmm. developed Maul as a very important character, and now they're going to give it to people who watch who are watching it on the screen, on the big screen, which is cool. But yeah, we already. As you as you guys said, like all we know about Han was in this movie. So I didn't learn anything new. I already understood the story of Han Solo. And you didn't give me like, oh, but you didn't hear about this part. Except for his love interest, which undermines his love for Leia. So Yep. <laughs> I I right. no, I think the problem is like this this absolutely was let's tell a story to people who weren't paying attention in the original movies and just tell the exact story that everyone else already knows. And so to but us, we're see watching this movie? The only people yeah. who are going to see this movie are the hardcore Star Wars fans. Yeah. So they already know everything. You know, they're looking for these things. And, like, it's not going to be what they expect, um, which, like, take it or leave it, right? But at the same time, they don't have to do that. They've already told Han Solo's story, or at least they've already told these aspects of Han Solo's story. They could go through some other aspect of it, right? Maybe, what about after... Um, episode six, how he and Leia like fell apart. That could have been interesting, you know? Well, it's, it's also, yeah. So I think we're running into a theme here of like telling stories that haven't been told already or that you want to hear told. That's why you were looking forward to an Obi-Wan story because we feel like we haven't seen, or he hasn't gotten the attention that he deserves. Han Solo is literally in episode seven. Like he, like the seeing the Millennium Falcon in this movie not meant nothing to me when i saw the millennium falcon episode seven i was like oh my god the millennium falcon ah like i remember that uh and you really get that thrill of like i'm i'm seeing a star wars movie in theaters that has a millennium falcon like this is it's kind of like getting to go back in time and be there for the original star wars releases which was cool episode seven did a lot of that well uh maybe a little bit too much Uh, but (laughs) this movie (laughs) this movie can't cash in on that at all because we've seen it already like the chewbacca the millennium falcon all that stuff's it's like yeah all right i guess like is star wars really like what is the story of star wars is it the story of the millennium falcon does every (laughs) single adventure have to take place in this spaceship uh which it makes sense to have it in this movie of course because it's han solo's ship but you can't lean on that as hard as they do because we've already seen it so much right like the music swells when as soon as he sees it right it's like Han has seen the Millennium Falcon for the first time. Take this in, Star Wars fanboys. <laughs> you guys, you guys didn't tear up when uh, when he <laughs> fires the escape pod away, and suddenly the Millennium Falcon's the correct shape that we always yeah. hoped it would be, with a little like, oh, wasn't that supposed to be such an important moment? Look at that! It's the is it though? the origin <laughs> of the weird shaped like, nose? Lando says he installed that, so like a week ago, it didn't even look like that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I this will. Made some I, modifications, Lando. Uh, this is an yeah. amazing part of the <laughs> I will give credit to um, Chalice Gambino or uh, Donald Glover. I did enjoy him as Lando, although, and I actually uh, mistakenly referred to this movie as Lando multiple times and had people correct me. <laughs> Not Lando, oh, I, but Solo. I thought they were doing it ironically. I thought, I thought they were calling it. I started doing it ironically, and then I act, started accidentally doing it. Uh, but also. I, as much as I enjoyed him, he didn't play that large of a role in this movie, uh, and I don't feel like his performance uh, can do a lot to reverse my opinion on what this movie largely is. Yeah, he was on I the ship like... in all the main conflicts, or and then he just That's... flew away in the middle of the, literally the main conflict of the story. <laughs> yeah, That's true. That was his yeah, biggest he, contribution. He, he, he flew away before he got paid. He's like, I'm going to be on my ship before I, until I, you like, come and get me when... You have my payment, and then he just flies away. He's like, for like without getting nah. a signal or anything. There's just no reason yeah. for him. And 
Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> but no, I actually uh, really like Donald Glover's performance in this. I thought he was really good as Lando. And I really like how they re- reinforce like Lando and Han's relationship as rivals, not so much friends. You know, like it it it, it kind of is strange like when you first meet him in the, um what's the what's the name of the movie? Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Like like Han trusts him obviously coming to them and saying stuff or whatever and Lando's kind of undermines him and then of course betrays him but that totally makes sense in the context of this movie right because like they're not actually friends they're constantly on each other's like backs trying yeah. constantly trying to like get at each other but they have I like this the, mutual respect so I forget the line in Empire Strikes Back uh, when he's like trying to pitch to Leia that they can go to this to Cloud City and he's like yeah. I know a guy there and he's like oh is a friend of yours and he's like well you know something along that lines he's like I don't know and then Chewbacca says something I remember the scene in the movie Chewbacca says something he's like there's no way he still remembers that yeah so like and I thought you're right this movie did do a good job of saluting that relationship the nature that complexity of that relationship it wasn't like oh we're best buds and we saved the world together right. and gave 60 million credits worth of fuel to a child <laughs> together it was like no we kind of we're both out for ourselves so we just right. hoped that we would be able to trust each other this time because we kind of were friends at the end of the last movie yeah uh, I, I did like that i thought that was well developed and uh, i think that relies heavily on um donald glover's performance agreed he did yeah, a good so job def- with um sorry I keep going. No, he did a good <laughs> job with um the accent of the original what was the name yeah, of the original yeah. actor for Lando. Oh, um, shoot. Hey, super famous. Uh, um, but anyway, he he does he does a really good job of keeping that kind of um, like swagger in his voice. And I originally I was I think I was annoyed by it with Donald Glover, and then I realized how on point it was with the original yeah. guy, and then I fell in love with it. So I do think he did a really good job from a uh, accent standpoint too. Yeah, Billy D. Williams was the original go. actor, oh, and uh, he does it. It is a. I, a good way to say it is a good salute to that role, um, and I, I think that casting that this is a um, a really smart move with uh, casting Donald Glover here. It makes perfect sense uh, because well, I, I actually I want to kind of bridge this into my next question uh, because I think this is a slam dunk of a uh, casting call. Uh, sure. What do you what do you think about uh, Han Solo in this movie? Because that's What's his name. Playing, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I honestly had never. I don't, I don't know if I'd seen this guy before. He's been in one other famous movie. It's called the movie's called um, uh, Hail Caesar. It was a Coen Brothers movie. Oh, with um, um, with Clune. Yep. He, his name is Aldrin El- Anarik. Sounds like so, a Star Wars name. Yeah, like he it just does actually sound like a Star Wars movie. Um, he, yeah, I I actually thought he was pretty good too. Like, for what he was given, like. I feel like this movie was executed well. I feel like he did, um, like, portray a good, like, Han Solo, kind of like a swashbuckling, likable guy, you know? And it was hard not to like him, I think. You know, he, he never does anything that you find questionable, even though he is kind of silly and, like, very arrogant. But you still like him. So, I, I don't know. I thought he did a good job. I thought he looked like... Um... I thought he looked like Han, and he really. And more I watched the movie, the more I got that impression that he really was like a good fit for the character. And you get the, and you understand what they saw in the audition, even if it's right. not a perfect. Even if he did, yeah. maybe the writing wasn't perfect for him and stuff. But I think like you could tell what they noticed, and I was totally okay with him as the movie went on, continuing to be this like important character for the series. Right now, and yeah. I I think that 
when you're trying to uh, play a guy like Han Solo, someone we've seen on screen a lot, especially when it's uh, a legendary actor that you're replacing, that's easy to mess up, and that and because it's literally the the lead role, uh, it's it's very important to get that right. So even though I don't think it was say as slam dunk as Lando Calrissian, they it definitely gets a passing grade from me, and uh, I think that's important to make this movie watchable because he's there for the whole thing. As yeah. he should be, it's his movie. <laughs> yeah, but like I don't know, he's not doing anything original. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like anything new. Not, not really. And um, I actually had to get acting, like an acting coach for him, in order for him to more accurately portray Han Solo, which is kind of interesting, right? Because Han Solo seems like such an original character. It's like, how do you possibly copy like the swagger of Harrison Ford like it's impossible apparently but he um I don't know I, I feel like he delivered well it, it's not like a super memorable performance but it's not it doesn't stand out as weird or awful or anything so passable I give it a passable I agree yeah it's it's not necessarily the presence of anything great but I think there's a large absence of anything terrible so uh you know yeah middle of the road I guess yeah which is an interesting interesting thing to suggest is like a positive trait for your star actor. But I do, no, I think, I mean, I think he carries what he's given yeah. uh, passively, and I was not annoyed. <laughs> God, I, just, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm not actually saluting this guy. He did a good job. I just can't say anything good about him. <laughs> that, no, I totally understand. You know, you, you can't oversell it. Um, can, right, I, so, uh, can I ask you a ahead. question about... Uh, the beginning of the movie. I have some. I have some questions about that first planet, and I was wondering if you could give me some answers. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to understand what the structure was of this planet and what the like po- power structure was. So Sean sure. and Kira, Kira are part of a child orphanage gang. Is that yeah, I, the impression you got? I, and it's run right. by a a worm lady. Yep. Yeah. Which <laughs> is interesting because it seems like all crime lords. Are, are some sort of like immobile worm creatures? I'm not sure how they've risen up uh, <laughs> to power. And these, and she was not a hut. She's not part of the hut clan, no. apparently, because they mentioned like you'd want to get in bed with the huts. So yes, so she's a different type of worm creature who is still a very powerful crime lord. But um, so they, they're this childhood gang, and he wants to get away. Han wants to get away from the gang, and so does Kira. But they presumably have not been able to until this point. And then they steal something from our our crime lord, and they run off. Sure. Um, and they get to the checkpoint. After a kind of a weird chase, they get to the military checkpoint. And That's as Han coming. and Kira are trying to <laughs> smuggle themselves and bribe their way through the gate, the child crime gang shows up. And then they, like, push the Empire guards out of the way. So... Presumably, they're actually in charge, and the Empire is just, like, being brushed yeah. aside by this child gang. I really didn't understand, like, and that's where I'm saying why I was so frustrated with the military sequence, too, is it was in such conflict with who the Empire is supposed to be. The Empire is, like, the whole reason why the people there's a rebellion building is because the Empire has this iron grip on all the planets in the galaxy that are under their control. But, like... This there doesn't seem to be any power structure that the Empire is running. Like, it's just a child gang in charge. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it doesn't really... I don't know what the timeline of this movie is, right? Like, obviously, Han is going to Tatooine at the end of this movie. But, like, that doesn't necessarily mean that it happens directly before. 
right? We don't explicitly know that. So, mm-hmm. um, for me, I I like that part of the movie just because it showed like the empire in chaos and how like after the like um, after the uh, what's it called the rebellion, not the rebellion, after the republic fell, uh, everything just kind of fell into disarray and like crime was rampant and everything. Because they talk about how the crime syndicates are in league with the empire and how like the empire is controlling both sides of this. I mean, you see that at the end with Darth Maul, which is why I actually really like that twist because the Sith are actually behind not only the empire, but also all the crime that's happening. And they're pushing that together to, you know, maintain perfect control. So although I think you're right, Scott, you don't see the iron grip that the empire holds later on. They, I think they're on their way. It's like they're, they're pushing for it in this movie. It's like not quite there yet. It's the transition phase. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And that's interesting. And you're right. It, it, when you look at it like that, if I'm, if I can accept that it's not like sloppy <laughs> writing direct, and instead it's yeah. a, it's like a, the actual situation, then yeah it's, a, yeah, it's an interesting take on what maybe these outer rim, I don't know where Corellia is. I should know. It's gotta I, be somewhere in the, in the, in like the middle, right? Cause they're building the star destroyers and stuff there, aren't they? Yeah. I, was always under the impression that Corellia was like a really important military stronghold, which is why I was so shocked by anyway. Um, but well, why, why do you think that? Are, I don't know. I, I've never heard of Corellia before this movie. Well, there's a whole, there's a freighter in the, in the military ship arsenal. What would you call it? The fleet of the empire. Okay. There's like a, there's a ship that's referred to as a Corellian cruiser. Oh, uh, it's, it's like a Corellian Corvette. I don't remember why I know that. Nice. Okay. But there's some Star Wars lore for you. So, like, it's a pretty big deal from a ship manufacturing standpoint. It's not just building that, like, the Star Destroyer. Though it might, that might be the new canon is that Star Destroyers are built there. But, like, it's supposed to be a big deal, which is why I was so amazed by the strength of this child gang. It's like (laughs) orphans. It's like, have you seen the movie August Rush? Yes. It was like that gang. It's like, you expect all those kids to be out, like, playing music on the street also because they're all like six and they're just looking through pipes and stuff it was crazy I, sorry i was amazing i was like what and han and, and kira were very clearly older than everybody else except for the enforcers from the gang so i was having trouble with that it's like they were aged out and they should have been leaving anyway and they just wanted yeah, to go out of town they had a mind of their own obviously and they're yeah, in they're, trouble yeah <laughs> well so another an, another problem i guess i had on the planet of Krelia. well i have two things but the first one is when they're bribing their way through tsa <laughs> the way that han and uh what is her name uh, amelia clark but what, kira. Uh, kira get separated it doesn't make a whole lot of sense like the door shuts and they grab her but then they kind of just ignore that han got through and there's guards on the other side who are also looking for Han, but somewhere between slamming on the door and screaming uh, and them <laughs> making it to the door, Han slips away, throws a cap on, and is suddenly completely incognito and able to join the very group of people that are chasing after him. Man, so- <laughs> here's a problem I had across the entire movie, and not just in this one sequence, was like there was only ever three guards in any given location. Uh, hmm. Han and Chewie get out of the cell on the military base, and then they just run to the ship that's being stolen by a bunch of criminals, and there's no Nobody's, one around. Yeah, they, don't, they meet no one else on the way there. Um, Han is moving all of the fuel out of the mine and later in the movie, and he's just literally just pushing a cart with Chewie. And, like, I get there's a riot going on, but, like, 
No, we how were they going to get out anyway? I guess because there's only ever three guards in any given location, they were going to be fine if there wasn't a riot. So there was all, <laughs> all over this movie, there was like not significant, or not, not sufficient guards in any given place. Yes. I thought it was wild because like this criminal gang had the capacity to push all of the guards out of the way at TSA and run up to the front of the line to grab Kira. But like yeah. they couldn't get that door open. <laughs> they couldn't get the woman at the checkpoint to be like, oh, sorry, let me open the door. Because he's literally, as you said, Ben, like banging right against there. the door. <laughs> I actually really like that that scene where they bribe the TSA worker. Um just because, like, you see, like, I feel like the actress is really good. She, like, you really see the conflict that she goes through. And, like, it shows you not only the power of the coaxium and how, like, valuable it is. It's, like, it's like the one ring. Everyone wants it. And it's also, um, actually, I would compare it closer to the spice from Dune if I, if I was going to make a, a direct comparison. <laughs> but um, she also, it also reinforces this idea that we were talking about earlier, that the Empire doesn't have complete control over everything. Crime still runs rampant on Coax on not Coaxium, but on Corellia. So, like her accepting this bribe makes sense because you know even though she's an Empire worker, she's still um, she still has like to feed her family or whatever. Yeah, it's not. I guess yeah, it's not obvious that being a worker of the Empire is all it's cracked up to be at this point. Right. Like she's still yeah, yeah she's still looking for something else. She's willing to accept it, and Han was confident enough that she'd be willing to accept it. So bribery must be going on. It's probably why the child gang is so powerful. Right. Yeah. Bo- the uh, being on the Empire's payroll doesn't necessarily purchase your loyalty. Um, but speaking of being on the Empire's payroll, I'm sure we all noticed when they joined the Empire recruiting video was playing oh, in the man. background. They had the Imperial March playing. And just shattering the fourth wall by having, th- like, a song from Star Wars playing in the Star Wars universe. I was, yeah, I was really curious. Like, this this didn't really bother me that much, but I was really curious to hear what you guys had to say about this. Well, just I, think, like, I think it's a great song. Okay, look, the, there's a reason why they play that song when we see the Empire in the movies. It sounds like what it should sound like. But it's also really iconic, and there's not, I don't think anybody who went to see this movie who saw the original movies didn't notice that. Where it's like... Am I hearing the Imperial March inside, like playing out of a television in a, a Corellian like airport? So, I, I, for me, I think that's it, it's uh, too meta. It's. Uh, but what exactly does that mean, though? Like, that's the, that's the official march that they play, and that's also like what what you're hearing. So when the em- the Emperor arrives in the Death Star, like you, the he marches out to that music you hear like it and idea. also he's, the stormtroopers are he's got it. like a portable speaker on his belt <laughs> and he actually plays it and everyone like it, is standing yeah, there trying not to over. laugh at him <laughs> <laughs> don't give disney any ideas the next <laughs> thing you know they're gonna have beats pills out like in the movie blasting the imperial march so it's uh i, I yeah. wasn't a fan of it yeah, he's gonna, I, it's, it's so weird we'll see whatever the next movie is we'll see someone get off a ship and like music will be playing in the background and they'll take headphones off and the music will stop Oh, oh good one! Listening love that cliche. I love that. This is inside Vader's so, yeah, helmet. He's listening. I think this movie is like does have a lot of meta things, which uh, I have a I have a theory for why that is too. But let's talk about some of them. Like when Kira um, talks to Han when they when they meet up after for the first time after three years, she says, "I always um what she say? I always imagined you off somewhere on some adventure. It always made me smile, and that." I felt like was what people thought of when they thought of Han Solo before they saw this movie. Like, 
you would always picture Han Solo, you know, off on some adventure. You know, you picture him as this, you know, romantic smuggler off in the, the distance, you know, doing those kind of things. Um, another thing is that uh, the, what's his name? The, the guy um, with the four arms who's on the team who got shot. Oh, oh Rio? Dude, yeah, so he used character. He was so awesome he, for the 20, he was, 10 minutes he was, he was okay. in the movie. Um, he would have been annoying if he had la- if he had lived. That's all I have to say. Um, he mentions he wants to uh, make a cantina somewhere. He wants to start a cantina somewhere, somewhere warm, but not too warm, which is, I feel like, a direct reference to the Moss Eisley Cantina, which probably already exists based on the timeline of this movie. Um, there's also the I know moment. Did you guys catch that? When um, Lando and Han just landed after doing the Kessel Run, um, Han has uh, his arm around Lando, and he says, "And Lando says, I hate you." And Han says, "I know." Oh, I didn't nice. catch that, but that is, uh, you know, I guess the another piece of Han Solo's backstory that isn't original. He says, says to "I know" the... to very strong emotions. <laughs> he always says, "I know," so that was just a thing he did but he, but he also says i have a very good feeling about this uh so i was showed that in the trailers but they also showed that in the movie too so yeah that was kind of an interesting twist on the classic i have a bad feeling about this um, yeah from i liked that because it's you know uh, it's still a callback it, it's almost the same thing at this point as saying like i have a bad feeling about this but maybe it's just a twist because of like han solo being young and cocky uh right I, but I, and he's I, also the like one of the first people to say that in the movie so right yeah and i mean it's um yeah, it it would be something like it's a callback that is in all, like all the Star Wars movies. So um, that that one is more of the same yeah, for me. I I actually like that too. Um, and then there's there's another one. Um, Kira says that Han is quote unquote the good guy, which of course is that's how you view him as well, even though he doesn't necessarily view himself as that. Which I thought was like a really interesting conversation to kind of like pinpoint exactly who Han is as you said earlier, it kind of undermines his arc later, but in the sense of this movie, it kind of like makes it clear his intentions and his motivations, which I thought was kind of an interesting kind of pull back at that moment. So now we, we are, we have been going for a little while here, so I'm going to take advantage real quick and send us to a break, but stick with us because when we return, we'll finish our conversation on solo, a star Wars story. You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver, and I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. (laughs) L3! Let go of the mean man's face. Who are these guys? If you come with us, you're in this life for good. You might want to buckle up, baby. Here they 
some advice. I assume everyone will betray you. And you will never be disappointed. I got a really good feeling about this. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Push it! So I wanted to continue talking about Rio and Val, who are the two, six, well, the other two thirds of um, Woody Harrelson's trio of uh, crime there. Yeah. And their limited roles in this movie. We're introduced to them, and then almost immediately, the two of them are tragically killed. Well, well, well or they tragically die. Val ends up actually ending her own life uh, to, to kind of save the mission, uh, which I thought was in vain. Pretty- well, in vain, yes, but it, but still was pretty cool. Uh, it, it was, uh, you know, Woody Harrelson struggles with trusting people in this movie, but Val shows that she was deserving of that trust, and she was definitely there uh, to help complete the mission. I thought that was kind of a cool death and sets a little bit of the tone of this movie as one of the, like, a little bit darker on the darker side of Star Wars. Uh, but yeah. then we had Rio, who was this fun-loving guy, you know, just, just a couple of more jobs until I'm done with this. You know, I just like, you know, I'm just... It's I'm a classic kind of red shirt I love to cook and, like, love, yeah, has all these stories and stuff. Voiced by John Favreau, by the way, the director of Iron Man. And uh, oh, really? yeah, and he Whoa. he's he's a lot of fun, uh, but then we get to see him die this like incredibly sudden and <laughs> oh. sad death where he just he's like oh man like get I guess getting shot in the arm and the shoulder is actually like some real like death, s- death stuff and then he's yeah. dies and I didn't know how to feel about that I was like uh, was I supposed to start caring about this guy first before <laughs> you kill him I got caught up honestly I was watching that sequence and I got caught up wondering like what multiple arms would mean for the like lethality of getting shot in the shoulder hmm it's like how does the i don't know how the blood flow works there or whatever oh, i mean he's an alien it was a little closer to the chest than it was the shoulder it was like right underneath so it oh, could have been like his heart and his like second heart or something whatever yeah maybe. right maybe because guys with four that. arms have their heart in the same spot as everybody else so like <laughs> <laughs> Well, the got the guards at the at the Kessel mines have their balls in the same place as everybody else, because Khan <laughs> picks them right there in the in the crotch. Yeah, that was he really rolled the dice on that attack. I'm glad he really did. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, okay. Here, here's my nitpick on on Rio's death. Where does the guy, where does the guy who kills him go? What happened to him? I thought Rio shot he, him. The, it wasn't clear. The guy that like he climbs up him. into the thing and then he gets shot and Rio's like shooting behind him and then once he gets shot he stops shooting. He drops the gun or whatever and then he's like rolling over the place and then Han gets on the ship and then starts controlling it. But the guy who shot him is never like you never see him die. You never see Han take care of him. You never see him jump off the ship. <laughs> wow, I did not realize that. <laughs> he was there the whole time. He just sat down. <laughs> yeah, he just sat down. Like, I'm he a, was I'm as heartbroken as us, man. He was watching the. <laughs> He's like, what did I do? It's like a kid, apparently. They're all like 12-year-olds, so he he shot him. He's like, what did I just do? I just shot Rio. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah point. I, I, I thought that those two, I thought it was interesting, especially because uh, Val, I recognize her from Westworld, which I'm sure most people do. Yeah. Uh, she plays Maeve, uh, the, the actress uh, Thandie Newton. Right? That's right. Uh, 
which I was excited to see her include in this movie, but she gets taken out so quickly, and it makes me wonder if either of these characters are really uh, contributed anything to this movie at all. We, I, mean, I had to, yeah. I had to look up both of their names after the movie because I definitely did, <laughs> did not remember them. Well, I mean, they just don't have enough room. They gained two guys, and they had to lose two guys. Um, <laughs> I think this is like, like a classic it, movie trope where your hero joins a gang, and then he just happens to be his first job is the one that goes wrong. But then I always just assume that in real life, the like leader of the gang would have like killed Han in this case. Like, are you kidding? Somehow Han must have been. Mm. Must have betrayed him because they've uh, been doing jobs forever, and Han, sh- Han and Chewie show up, and they manage to get both of his friends killed. Are you kidding? Why would he suddenly become loyal to Han? I just I find it very interesting. And this happens in video games. It happens in movies all the time. It's like a good starting point where you you're being brought yeah. into this world. But it's like, gosh, you know, clearly he was wasn't experienced. Uh, Andy Newton's character. What was her name? Um, Val. Val. Val was right. You never should have trusted Han. Clearly was underqualified. But it wasn't. I mean, what? It wasn't him. Honestly, it wasn't his fault at all. You know, it was. It was really Beckett's fault for not anticipating Infest Nest coming in. So, yeah, and it was ignoring the advice of Val, who specifically said, "Watch out for these guys." And he's like, "Nah, <laughs> they won't, they're not showing up. I'll risk your life on it." <laughs> <laughs> so you you mentioned rolling the dice earlier, and I really want to talk about the dice. Oh as well. God! Remember <laughs> these dice? Like that was like okay, a whole. First of all, like I didn't know the dice was a thing until nobody last remembered job. the dice until they made us remember that the dice mattered when the dice yeah, anyway, so, sure they're there and then okay so here okay so han puts the dice on his little speeder that he steals right which i feel like is a good way to lose dice on a thing you're gonna ditch immediately but then the next thing he gives it to is his girl so is kira the thing that he's riding anyway uh, uh. then she <laughs> then she gives him back to him three years later during the heist at like the worst time ever Right? So they're like in the middle of the heist. She punches him in the gut and says, This is for something that you did earlier because they're playing up like that he's a slave, whatever. Then hands him the dice right then. And well, he's, he's in like, shackles, being yeah, let like, off by other what guards. About, what about the goddamn uh, handcuff key, Kira? How, that would be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is that's one of those sequences where I guess the point was for us to be like, that was supposed to be like a wink wink like oh i'm just kicking you as part of this illustration but, but you know they're doing that's that what was but happening. you know they're doing that <laughs> there was you no don't s- need to spell it out again that we talked about <sighs> this on the ship like 30 seconds ago before i got off remember we're still friends <laughs> it's like no we knew what you were gonna do this isn't a twist you didn't need to give me these dice <laughs> but like why didn't she give it to him earlier i this is like uh, it makes me so frustrated but Okay, so th- I don't know if you guys know anything about the production of this movie, but it was apparently very troubled. Um, before Ron, Ron Howard was brought in to direct it, it was originally going to be directed by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who are two of my favorite directors. They do all sorts of really great, subversive movies. Movies like 21 and 22 Jump Street, The Lego Movie, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. They, I mean, they've had projects for years, and they always make these really like high-level, like interesting movies. And... I think part of the problem or part of the reason why they were kicked off is because they didn't have enough respect for the source material. They had these kind of cheeky moments in the, the movie that was not in tune with Star Wars. So they, they kicked him out and got Ron Howard, who would do more what they were thinking, I guess. 
And I'm reading some of the articles about it. Like they said, like, oh, the script didn't change that much, but also that Ron Howard changed the tone a lot in some of the reshoots they did. This is why the movie was so over budget and why it's probably going to be Star Wars' first real flop is because they had so many reshoots because of this trouble production. And this moment, I think, with the dice is, I think, something that was corrected by Ron Howard. I think that's what it was. Like, I think originally in the original script, they were going to have like that moment mean something else and then and when they went to the reshoots they tried to hastily come up with some other excuse for it and so they put the dice in there as like a way to do it because it doesn't make any sense i haven't some, felt like the dice i've never felt like the dice carried the level of importance that the movies are trying to make them carry yeah um, i'm not sure if they're trying to sell keychains or what but it just seems like they're trying to shoehorn the the dice to be super meaningful but i just don't care I agree. With, with some of the other things that like that stand out to me, um, it's like some of the meta like references that they make in this movie. And, and one of the things is L three. Um, and I, I wrote this down in my notes as the L three problem. Yes. So, okay. Here here's the big issue I have with L three is that she's an activist, but she's actively dismissed. The best like the best relationship that. I could have I like that. from from this. <laughs> Like, as a character, like, I think she best resembles Hermione in the Harry Potter books and her crusade to save house elves. And that um, L3 and Hermione are both trying to act like, like, uh, what's the word? Um, Be activists for something that's going to totally subvert the entire society that they are a part of. And if, you know, the robots suddenly had, you know, the power that they deserve or whatever, you know, if they were granted equal rights suddenly the Star Wars universe would be out of all the slaves that they use and to do everything. And every Star Wars movie has like robot or droid slaves. That's kind of just a thing that's been happening. But this is the first movie to address it and then like make it a joke, which I did not like very much. Yeah, this movie felt almost conflicted with its own opinion on what robots should be in the Star Wars universe. Which is why I bring back the Christopher Lord and, and Phil Miller. This is something that I feel like they were going to heavily lean into and then Ron Howard corrected. Right, right. So, like, yeah, robots have played a – not only just being, like, a cute, like, version, like, part of the Star Wars universe, they've also been stand-ins for things that might be too violent for or, – or too just, I don't know, uh, too dark to make, like, living creatures do. You get a pass because they're not alive. They're just a electrical circuit, you know, programmed to do this. Uh, like, for instance, the battle droids. We get we massacre battle droids in episode one without even flinching because you know they're stupid battle droids. We we love uh, you know seeing them get sliced and diced and blasted and and you know force pushed. But yeah, now they make a very satisfying crunching noise. Yes, they do, and we <laughs> we established that in a previous episode of the podcast. But they <laughs> now we understand that robots are sentient and are held back by devices that kind of uh you know block that sentience and force them into uh basically slavery so now every single thing that we've had robots do for us basically has been compromised remember when r2d2 helps them get off of i'm referencing stars episode one again but they're they're getting off of naboo and they uh like commend him 
Well, they they blast all the other droids <laughs> that just out of nowhere, and we're just seeing them all get destroyed, and R2 barely survives, and they're like, good job, R2, but what about all those other guys? Shouldn't we have funerals for those droids? Yeah, they were like, all, like, capable of having, like, deep internal thoughts about their own role in society and whether or not they should have had <laughs> rights and things. I'm okay. Any one of those robots could have been R2 in any of the other movies. Yeah, I'm okay with the first movie in a major series establishing the sentience of your droid characters and then like the social justice policy changes that are necessary but like we're a little too deep into the rabbit hole to go and unravel every single robot in the series now (laughs) retroactively was probably conscious unless it was literally shackled by a restraining bolt you're oh that was a wild sequence that is true and it's it's weird how that like how they kind of they address that but like they don't take it seriously right like it would have been so much more interesting i was trying to think of a way they could correct this and the what, what i can come up with it best is um like having l3 and lando's like thing be that they rescue droids right l3 convinced lando that they need to go out and like save droids instead of that being like she's i found my true calling lando i'm gonna save all these droids and rescue all these slaves like that would have been more interesting if that had just been her goal all along, right? Instead of her just kind of being angry, justifiably, I would, I would argue. But, like, if L- if Fox News existed in the Star Wars universe, L3 would be an SJW. That's that's my take. No, I agree with that. Do you think, um, what did you get, what was your impression? Because there's a sequence in there where uh, L3 is talking to Kira and is like, Lando always oh, loved yeah. me, but I just don't know how I feel. And it was like, oh, this is funny because she thinks that Lando's in love with her. But then when she when she ends up dying and she gets shot and Lando runs out there and saves her. And then and then he brings her in and he's crying over her. And I like I was like, whoa, this is a huge change for Lando's character, too. There's a chance that Lando is actually in love with L3. There's a lot of complexity to that. And they make jokes about it. But like. I don't know. You either had to say that that's what happened, or not say it's what happened. You shouldn't just make a joke about it and place the part that was obviously supposed to be a joke, and then yeah. But the thing is, like, she she does recognize that Han's in love with Kira, right? So why wouldn't she be able to recognize that Lando's in love with her? It is an interesting new part of Star Wars, like having because I I I was told that this is the first pansexual character in Star Wars is Lando. Because oh. he's, yeah, because he's capable of, like, being in love with a robot. Um, and I, I'm not, like, an expert on the, the different sexualities and all that stuff. Uh, but it almost felt a little bit shoehorned in to go with kind of, like, the SJW kind of, uh, it's like, oh, look, look how progressive Star Wars is. Uh, we're pushing, you know, Lando having this love story with the robot. And I'm okay with having, like, a love transcends all forms kind of message. But... Yeah. I wasn't compelled. It, it almost seemed like it was, at first, a cocky robot being like, oh, yeah, you guys think Lando's so cool. He's in love with me, which makes me even cooler. And yeah. But then they tried to tra- like take that to this is a compelling like love story that you should care about for real and take seriously. Uh, and I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't convinced. It's just, it, it, it felt out of place, which I, I don't know. At this point, I'm starting to think these rewrites and reshoots uh, did a lot to kind of muddy the waters. Yeah, they tripped over each other a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so then, there's no way to tell, really. Because they, so, you know, that, that sequence develops. L3 is wounded in battle and has a dramatic death sequence. Then Kira's like, can we just remove L3's brain and shove it into the computer? 
And Lando's like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> you could do that. I and guess. then he does it, and it saves them. And he's like, he has this moment where he's like, she's part of the ship now. But then he continues, like, late, at the end of the movie, he gambles the ship again. Yeah. That has his, apparently, his the love of his, the recent love of his life is now a part of his <laughs> ship. And he just gives it away again to Han. Oh, my God. I've just realized this, and I can't believe that happened. Like, why, why is the ship not more priceless to him than anything else? It's now, like... It is L three, and he's like, yeah. Ah, apparently, it's like put it on the table. But that's like, but what about like the the navigation computer in the in the the Millennium Falcon now, right? Is that's part of the canon that it has like the best navigation system in the universe? Like, that's never that's never seen again. You see this this ship hundreds of times, but you never <laughs> see its uh, superior navigational ability abilities. Yeah. And well, it- all right. Like, if she can be downloaded into another you know host or another sheen why not another bot yeah why not just let her keep living sounds like she wasn't dead he just tore her brain out and then just left it on the ship then gave the ship and away gave it away and then gambled <laughs> it away he's like oh well oh, oh well she was a she troublemaker anyway so <sighs> yeah so i guess he didn't love her i don't know it's such a complex sequence i can't it really is tell a complex sequence and no one will ever know <laughs> Well, one th- one more thing I want to point out though is uh, that it, it's seen for at least from my perspective, Thandie Newton only signs on to projects where robot sentience <laughs> is involved mm, in some capacity because yeah. obviously she's a big part of Westworld. Uh, she might be really a, robot a part in real life. Yeah, that's a good rule. <laughs> I, I live. By, I also live by that rule. <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting for the call, man. Give me. A call. Well, she. I, I don't know. It's like uh, I, that is something I truly didn't expect to see in this movie. Uh, was the whole robot sentience angle, but it, I also don't really know if it was something that I wanted included. You know what I think is interesting is uh, one of the reasons Han was famous and the Millennium Falcon's famous is for making the Kessel Run in 12 round down to 12 parsecs. But sure. L3 made the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. She's Ooh. the smart navigator, and she That's was right. in he the didn't computer. Do anything. The only he thing he did was the... he punched it through the hole in the maelstrom. And that, like, All the big light beam. Go, go too close to a black hole. Yeah, okay, like, <laughs> okay, went here's, here's my problem with this black hole thing, okay? There's this giant space octopus, electric space octopus in space. Gotcha? Yep. And, and, and it lives right next to a giant black hole. The first thing it does when they meet it is go into that black hole. I never like, knew that black hole. How does it survive for so long? <laughs> they were, it was so close to it, they confused it for the black hole, and yet. The first thing it does is immediately get sucked into the black hole. Yeah. I, I've, as much as I love the idea of Han having this record running the, uh, the Kessler run, uh, that felt very shoehorned in. Like it was like it was exciting, you know, if it was its own its own little adventure. But it was among all these other high stakes uh, like events that were all kind of together. And the Kessler run, it's like. Oh look, we like we're accidentally forced to run the Kessler run just to continue the plot here. I and, think uh, um, this was a this was a like the original trilogy. George Lucas wrote something into the script that has annoyed science nerds and me as a science nerd forever, which is like <laughs> a parsec is not a unit of time; it's a unit right. of distance. And so they needed in this movie to to fix that problem. So they wrote a issue into the script that justified measuring a jump between two planets by distance and not by time. And the only way they could think yeah. to do that was to introduce space squids. 
and things of that <laughs> nature. Okay, I actually really like that sequence because it looks awesome, but it doesn't make any sense. The uh, I I totally agree that that's so dumb that they do that. Like they retroactively explain things. Um, and I have two points for this. First, like it's the same thing as the Han shot first thing, right? When when um, they had the specialized editions and they, they brought in like Greedo shooting Han and Han shooting in self-defense, suddenly Han has nowhere to go as a character, right? He's just defending himself. He's not just like a, a badass gangster. Uh-huh. And then uh, for this, like the, pe- the, car- the Kessel Rung, if you knew anything about space, right? If you knew what a power sec was, then you would know that he's just bullshitting and that what he's saying doesn't make any sense, which kind of makes him a more interesting person, right? But just to have him ex- like, Richly explain that. Never tell a lie because we rewrite the dictionary for him. The the other thing that I that they do for this is the names, and I have a whole thing about Star Wars names. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> so Star Wars is famous for its t- terrible character names, um, character names that are very on the nose. And I have to thank um, Nerdist.com for giving me a bunch of these really good names and pointing them out to me. Um, the like, like Han Solo, of course, is like a, a classic example because he is a loner, right? So his last name is Solo. Apparently so of that's canon, they, that that's why they his have to last explain name is that Solo. In the movie. They have to explain that in the movie, exactly. Uh, but, he had okay, another good, name? Some, what was his real name? I, uh. he, he didn't. He said he didn't have a name. But here's some Apparently. other good ones, right? Ready? Um, uh, Greedo. He's a, he's a greedy guy. <laughs> All he cares about is the money, right? The down payment. He's Greedo. Um, Elan Sleezbagano, the guy who tries to sell, <laughs> the guy who tries to sell death sticks to Obi Wan in, in uh, Attack of the Clones. You want to buy some death sticks? I don't want to buy any death sticks. You want to yeah, go I'm home and rethink your life? <laughs> Savage Opress, literally spelled Savage Opress, yep. um, from the um, Star Wars Clone Wars movies. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite, the the tip of the iceberg, Porkins. Porkins? <laughs> of course, Porkins, the fat guy from the fourth movie who dies <laughs> dramatically. His name is Jeb Porkins because he's fat. <laughs> uh, that is so, on the nose. Yeah, well, I mean, so, uh, I mean, obviously, like, we touched on it a little bit here, but the, the way that Han gets his name is absolutely ridiculous. I was mad. Uh, I was really mad. I knew people were going to be divided about this, like, I, I, I could tell from that moment, like, oh, people are going to have very strong opinions about how they did this. Either they're going to be very happy or very upset. And, yeah, I, I think I come down on, like, the very upset thing. Just let it be dumb, you know? Like, one of the characters that doesn't show up in this movie but was rumored to show up in this movie because he was on um, some Denny's promotional items, was his name was... Excuse me. That's a true story. His name is Therm Scissor Punch, and he's a giant lobster. <laughs> And I think this is uh, I think this is Chris Lord and Phil or yeah, no Chris Miller and Phil Lord excuse me um, their addition to this movie they were gonna have a character with a, a stupidly on the nose name to purposely lean into the dumb Star Wars name trope instead this movie reverses it and explains why he has a dumb name instead of just accepting it you see what I'm saying yeah I do and it that's that's a missed opportunity because I would love to see that that lobster man. I would uh, love to see the well, subversive Han Solo movie that was almost made. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and it's just, like, it, 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 I mean, even if Han has to not have a last name, uh, just the, just, 
oh, you know, you're alone, Solo. Such a silly connection. Uh, even if Han Solo, like, if you had it the other way where he was like, I only work alone, I'm Han Solo, it might be more badass because he's a badass in giving himself a name as opposed be to if, nameless... Be go ahead, sorry. Sorry, well, nameless empire, like, like secretary typing his name on a keyboard. Ah, you're Solo now. Like, it's, like, the lamest possible way to get it's your like, moniker. I like, guess that's that's me forever now, this one okay. guy. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm okay with that because the Empire gave me my name, and I, that's just my name now. It would have been better is if he just, um, if he was called Solo because he flew so low to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I that's wish, not, I wish the... That's not more dumb. That's not more dumb. <laughs> I wish the Empire guy had been like, how about Han Scissor Punch? And he's like, no, 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 no. I want it to be Solo. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, you're at a funeral. <laughs> He's got this great list of names. He's got his name generator <laughs> up. He just hits the button and just scrolls through. <laughs> How about uh, Childish Gambino? Yeah, oh my god. If they use the Wu-Tang name generator. I mean, at that point, they were already being meta with the Imperial March playing in the background. They should have just gone full meta and logged on to the Wu-Tang name generator and gotten his name just like just like Donald Glover got his rap name. Uh, that's good. <laughs> And that's the thing that I like about Star Wars, and that's why I keep going to these movies, is even when I sit there and I feel uh, personally violated by some of the things <laughs> I see on screen, it's still uh, – there's so many people that love to have in-depth conversations about whether it was right or not or why they did certain things and, and what they speculate is going to happen next. And I, I know that Star Wars could run itself into the ground and make it impossible to keep having those conversations. For now, I'm st I still keep finding myself having those conversations, and as a result, I'm still showing up and seeing whatever they put on there. Yeah, I'll never not care, even as I'm like, ah, oh, what are they, uh, I haven't enjoyed these movies, and all this, but apparently I do, I enjoy them a lot, I just, I'm just not sure why, <laughs> but I, mean, I still it's, love it's them, just, I, yeah. It's just so important to, like, the cultural conversation, it doesn't matter if it's good or not, Star Wars has, like, affected us forever, yeah. and, like, at this point, like, all you can do is just obsess over it, just like everyone else. <laughs> So speaking of uh, obsessing over it and it potentially getting better in the future, forever um, I have wished that Darth Maul had justice done to him, and uh, because he was so amazing in the in Episode One, such a interesting Sith that we didn't we didn't see enough of. Uh, and don't get me wrong, like Obi Wan defeating him was super cool too, and and like I wouldn't want to remove that just to get more Maul, but we always knew like. You know, hardcore Star Wars fans always knew that Darth Maul was still alive, and he was doing his Darth Maul stuff in the background, uh, which we get to see in the animated series. Uh, which, while being cool, it's definitely not the same thing as seeing it on the big screen. Right. Uh, so, even though at this point my my eyes are getting sore from rolling so much, when they <laughs> showed Darth Maul finally uh, when he was just talking with Amelia Clark, I uh, I got really excited. I think it's really cool to have Darth Maul back in Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I like this for so many reasons. First of all, he's voiced by Sam Witwer, who is I'm a big fan of. He does the voices for uh, for Darth Maul ever since the first movie. And he's also um, a player on one of my favorite shows on YouTube, the Ultimate Schmodown movie trivia. Uh, he, he's the Star Wars champion currently. Nice. I, I didn't know anyway, he he's, um, he's It's incredible, the stuff he knows. But anyway, um, I really like this twist again because... Uh, it establishes that the Empire is behind, or like the Sith are behind, um, 
the uh, Crimson Dawn and all those crime syndicates, right? They're actually controlling things from behind. They're controlling the Empire and they're controlling the crime syndicates. But also because when Kira overthrows Dryden, she suddenly thinks she has control, more control over her life, but instead she replaces one master with an even scarier master, which I thought was a really cool like addition. They um so in the Darth Maul canon timeline, he is no longer a Sith Lord, and he still a, oh. uses the dark side of the Force. But this is after he brings. Okay, now I'm gonna nerd out a little bit on you so he in the time like during the original or the prequel series so the second trilogy Mm -hmm. in the movies with the prequels he is killed by obi-wan then he is found um oh no spider legs right he's found with like spider legs in a on a junk pilot a junk planet yeah and then and by savage um he's brought back to Dathomir, which he references in this movie, and then he is given his robot legs. Then he takes, he beats Savage, takes Savage as his apprentice, and they begin to run a crime syndicate. Okay. And and he has already been dropped by Sidious, the Emperor, as his apprentice because Sidious thinks he's gone, or I guess he knows he's around but he's weak or whatever. Then he anyway, a lot happens. He becomes the leader of Mandalore, which is a planet that they haven't brought into the oh, movies really? yet. Um, which is a really awesome sequence from the original Clone Wars series. I recommend it from the actual cartoon series instead of the movie. Yeah, the but, animated one, not, yeah. the, not the movie. Right, right. Um, anyway, it's a really cool sequence. He has a bunch of showdowns with Obi-Wan. But then the Emperor like steps in, uh, Sidious steps in, in like, one of the cooler animated... Um, Jedi se- or lightsaber battle sequences and essentially like dismisses him kills Savage and like beats him again and casts him out and then we don't hear from him until Rebels where he's like an old man um, so, so this is in the middle of that so right now he is like running this crime syndicate now this new one but he's doing it from like a much much more subtle seat so he's actually he's like a kind of a wizened Darth Maul which I'm excited to see written, but I think it's going to be missed. And I think what's going to happen is the writing's not going to take that into account because that would be crazy to write him as this, like, actually very wise and old character <laughs> after no one's seen him since the first movie when he was, like, doing flips and stuff. But right, technically, sure. he's, like, he's like an old man who's been beaten multiple times and recognizes that he's no match for the Emperor. And I think he's just kind of trying to exist, but he still uses his lightsaber. Um, so there's a lot going on. He's a very complex character right now, and I don't think anything of that's going to matter in the movies. I don't think they're going to even try to write that in. But technically, uh, from one Star Wars geek uh, impressions, he's he's going to be like a very he should be a very like old character wise. But, right, but, and that does and that does change like my take on it too, because it means the Empire Emperor, or the Empire isn't actually behind this either. It's just it's just he's his own operation. Yeah. Well, right, because he's not necessarily a Sith, right? There can only be two, never more and never less. And sure. he's even though he uses the dark side of the force, he's uh, his own entity. And uh, which I think sounds like they're moving away from the whole dark versus light, Empire versus uh, uh, rebels. Maybe we can get you know, a, a conflict out to the side that's brand new and on its own some, and independent. Some gray Jedi thrown in there? Well, yeah, that's I would I love to see that. We're going to run into 
the in the Obi-Wan movie, Darth Maul is going to be one of the villains, if not the villain, but like it'll be a much if it's done well, which seems to be less and less likely every time one of these movies comes out. If it's done perfectly well in salute to all the canon, he's it's going to be like a really really powerful story that has nothing to do with Jedi and no other Jedi will show up and no other Sith will show up. It's just like it's literally just a conflict between these two characters. It's That would be so great, wouldn't it? You know, I, I feel like that would be great. It yeah. would just be his own his own story, right? And you would have to go there because you like Star Wars. Yeah, no Millennium Falcon, no dice. Uh, <laughs> just give me give me a new story. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I mean, I don't know. Thanks for giving that insight, Scott. Yeah, man. I never would have got that otherwise. The interesting thing is that they've resolved the conflict between Maul and Obi-Wan in Rebels. I don't okay. um have you guys watched that series? No, no. I'm going to avoid. I won't. Um, it's a, it's a really kind of an interesting battle, or a series of battles, and they come in and out, and they they continue to interact. Um, but that uh, there's a it has it resolves itself by the end of the series. Oh, okay. And so it'll be interesting when they make the movie. Now we're getting into speculation about the future movie, but it'll be interesting if they choose to retroactively create a live action version of that resolution because it anyway I, that. Since you guys haven't seen it, and I don't want to spoil it, maybe I won't go into it, but it'll be interesting to see what the Obi-Wan movie is. Because if you do introduce Maul as the main villain, he has to, like, he'll start the movie where he is right now, and he'll end the movie presumably in the same spot. You can't, like, end it in the movie. Um, Anyway, it'll be interesting. No, that is interesting. I I do like looking to the future, though, because we we speculated a little bit earlier that there's probably going to be a sequel to this, but it sounds like, at least from YouTube's informed uh, perspective, that that'll likely be Obi-Wan, or not necessarily a direct Han Solo 2, uh, which is, in my opinion, at least a step in the right direction. I, I don't want a Han Solo 2. I don't think I wanted a Han Solo 1. No, and I don't... This movie is like... I mean, this movie didn't make any money. It made it made less money than uh, Justice League. Ooh! And it's like... <laughs> it's. I mean, obviously, Disney isn't hurting. Like they, they, can, they can afford this kind of loss, but it is a big... Like, it is a big sign that people aren't just going to go to a Star Wars movie because it's a Star Wars movie. Like, this is this is kind of a turning point in a way where they're going to have to start listening, at least it seems. Because it, I, I always felt like it didn't matter. Like, as long as they put Star Wars in the name, people would go see it, whether it was shit or not. So, I feel like this kind of changed people's minds. And there's, I mean, I, I've been kind of following the box office stuff. Um, just because it's it's super interesting, but there's one guy that I really like who's has all these speculations about why it is, and one of the things he he cites as a reason is Last Jedi fatigue. That the movie just came out five months ago, there was not enough time to market for this movie, and, and people were so divided on the Last Jedi that they haven't like resurged themselves to give Star Wars another chance yet. I agree with that. I I mean I definitely didn't see this movie on opening night like I have with all the other Star Wars movies because it was so important to me to not have it spoiled because obviously Star Wars has a lot of marketing and then everyone's going to see it and you're going to yeah. see it on social media. So if you're a real fan, you had to see it as quickly as possible if you want to get the authentic experience. And with Solo, I didn't feel like that at all. I actually kind of had to convince myself to go. Um, I, really, the thing that made me go was the when we planned this podcast. Uh, if if I wasn't if I wasn't guaranteed to have some other guys to talk to about this movie, it, it just didn't seem like a foregone conclusion like the other movies where it was an event uh, as opposed to you know just another release. Yeah, I I, I can kind of see that, and I mean, I mean this is all anecdotal, but like I felt like people were gonna wait till the next weekend to go see it. Like they were gonna wait for word of mouth. 
they're going to wait for people to see it and then tell them that it was good so that they should waste their money. But, um, I don't know, like it didn't, it, it didn't do that. Right. It was fine. It was passable. It wasn't great. And so people didn't flock to see it. And I think it didn't, it didn't help that there was such bad press for people who do care about star Wars with the production cycle. That the only thing I exactly. did know about this movie, because I didn't know, I mean, you guys are right to say it wasn't marketed particularly well, so I didn't know anything about it. The only thing I did know is it wasn't like there was trouble in paradise. That's the only thing I yeah. knew. So I wasn't hyped about it either. And I, I, I'm the same way. I saw it after y'all invited me to come on. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I, I want to seem like I know Star Wars stuff. I better go see a Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is part of the Star Wars canon now, like it or not. So, sure. Um, okay, so I got one more thing to talk about. I there's, there's some other things we could touch on if you guys want to. Um, I'm just about well, at the end of my notes here. Well, okay, I got, I got two things. Just kidding. Uh, one of the things is Kira. So I actually really liked Kira's character. I really thought Emily Clark or Amelia Clark did a good job, like portraying her as like an interesting, conflicted character. Um, and I, I really liked this whole like like dynamics she had where like everyone kind of understood where she was coming from except for Han. Like, you know, she would, she was like clearly like owned by Dryden Voss, mm -hmm. but Han didn't seem to get that. He was always trying to get her to leave. Um, and, and he just, just didn't seem to understand. And they keep hinting at like her troubled past or like she did things that you would never forgive her for. Yeah. And I would love, like, obviously I feel, feel like they were saving that for the sequel, but I would have loved to hear some of that. Like, Oh yeah, by the way, she went back in time and killed your parents, Han. Oh yeah, by the way, she killed a bunch of orphans, Han. Like, I don't know, like something stupid like that would make him like that made her, you know, less likable, which made her more interesting, I think. At the end, I thought the reveal was going to be I thought they were like a half step from doing it, but they were going to reveal that she was like force sensitive. Ooh. And was an apprentice to Darth Maul, but then we realized that she didn't that know about Darth Maul. Cool. But I, I thought that was like we were going to find out that she was always in service to Darth Maul first, and just with Dryden as a spy or something. And that we were, and that's the reason she was going back to her. Like if she just had to say, if she'd said like "Yes, Master" or something, that would have been yeah. enough for me. That would have sold me. And then it would have been like, oh, yeah, I do want to know what dark things she did, but I can assume they're pretty bad. Because she's being yeah, trained by this crime lord, Sith lord. That would have been that would have been really awesome, and I do think that we're missing like a Kira betrayal. Honestly, like there is a little one because she doesn't go with Han at the end, but like you you knew she wasn't going to because of her loyalty to Crimson Dawn. So uh, yeah, that's that's what I think would have solidified the ending for me is if she had betrayed Han uh, like more thoroughly, um, and like gone with Dryden or side with Maul, which would have been a really good twist, I think. Yeah, and I, I thought the same thing when Darth Maul showed up. I was like, oh, nice, a female Sith now. This would be cool. Uh. Uh, but th it was just, you know, uh, that wasn't the case. But she, I do like her character, and we get to see her get fleshed out throughout this movie and be kind of, um, she's similar to Han, but she's also very distinct from him in the sense that Han will, uh, he looks out for number one, but he also cares a lot about his friends and he'll do what yeah. he has to do for the people that he holds closest. One of them being Kira. Meanwhile, Kira is, uh, he, she maybe thinks Han is a little bit too soft 
and she's willing to do whatever it takes for her own survival, which means siding with the most powerful people uh, and using her connections with them uh, over her connections with the people that she, you know, quote unquote, cares about uh, in the right. sense of that being Han. So I think that that makes for an interesting relationship where Han uh, is, you know, is willing to like go out of his way to save her, but she definitely wouldn't do the same for him. Yeah, it's like she they have different survival strategies, right? Like he Han thinks running is like the best way to go and then she thinks she can stay and fight. Um and yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Uh, she actually says to Han, sorry. She goes says to Han, um uh what's she say? Oh, you don't you don't know everything and or like and he says, well, you know, like or no, she he, Han says to her, you don't know everything <laughs> and she says, I know more than you. Um which yeah, I think is a really yeah, it's nice and then Han that. says, "I know." That. <laughs> <laughs> what, were, what were you gonna say, Scott? Scott, what, Scott, what were you gonna say? What do you mean? Um, oh, yeah, I thought you were gonna say. No, something. no, no, no I was no, gonna. I was gonna just say that I. She was one of the few characters that I felt was properly fleshed out and dynamic and uh, interesting. Somebody that you you still think about once you're outside the theater and kind of uh, trying to wrap your mind around what their motivations yeah. are. Um, so I, I thought that she like. I'm I'm excited to see more of her. Um, I do. I, I would. I remember what I was going to say. Sorry. I, um, one of the things I thought was coolest about her, as far as fleshing her out, was they made her so like obviously capable, in the same way that mm. they tried to do with Ray. But with Ray, they kind of hit us over the face, over the head with it. Like Ray is <laughs> yeah. actually yeah. the greatest Jedi who ever lived. And you're like, oh, cool. First female Jedi is also the best Jedi ever. And I'm all right with that. Uh, but they made Kira like obviously capable, and then. As you say, Joey, they were probably a half, you know, we were pretty close to successfully fleshing her out as like a darker character when she kills Dryden and like Han scrambles and picks up the blaster and turns around and she's like cut him open with his own knife on the end of her sword. It was a really cool sequence and why I thought she was going to turn out to be force sensitive because it was like that's some Jedi training stuff. That's pretty awesome. But like, yeah, she he turns around to save her and she's just killed him, straight up killed him without any hesitation. You know, I mean, a slight battle, but yeah. it was over because she was just better than him. And I thought that was cool. And there were all sorts of things like when she's laughing at Han trying to to win the ship from Lando and he, you know, Lando cheats. He doesn't win the ship. And then she just goes up and gets the ship from him. And like, apparently yeah. she probably could have done it the whole time. She was just letting Han play she's the hero, Han, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I liked that idea. It was like she never really thought Han was going to be able to do it. And she at no point was she like depending on any other character to successfully and the same with when they're on the mine planet and she's behind the closed door and uh beckett is waiting outside to try to get through the door like banging on the door and she just kills the guard like she never needed help at any point in the movie so yeah i thought that was cool that's like my i i like that too but she's that's also part of my as a cliche that i've started noticing in, in modern movies is the oh you don't actually need any help girl um cliche that's what i'm calling it um, it happens. I, I have three examples. The first one is from this movie in, in that exact sequence, right? Um, what's his name goes in there to try and help him, help her. Beckett tries to go in there and help her, but then she's already taken care of it totally, right? And in this, like, uh, there's like a, a little bit of a surprise on his face, like, wow, I can't believe you did that. And then um, I, the other example I have is from uh, The Force Awakens. The same thing happens with Ray. She she beats up a bunch of the stormtroopers and then Finn goes over there to try and help her and then she totally handles it herself and there's this look of surprise on his face like oh i guess you don't need any help same thing in um in Jumanji uh the newest Jumanji <laughs> uh Ruby Roundhouse is like going around kicking 
guy's asses and then the rocks character comes out and he's like oh wait i actually she doesn't need any help it's like this like look of surprise like oh this girl is actually badass you know can't we have to find that out and and then be surprised by it that's uh that's my, well, my new cliche i'm looking for well i can't speak for jumanji uh specifically but in the star wars universe it almost seems at least in these newer films it seems like women are just as capable of kicking some butt as anyone in the galaxy uh i mean ray obviously the goat jedi basically uh but just in general it seems like half of the resistance is women and they're just as capable as their male counterparts so uh to have characters still be surprised uh in some capacity that women are just as capable as them uh, (laughs) doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense yeah And and i know it's kind of a reflection of the real world not necessarily the star wars universe but we're in the Star Wars universe, not the real world. So what's the what's uh, the term it's for stick that? Out. When like, like a mod something modern uh, seeps into a movie, um, like yeah, if someone was to use a, a like a classic English slang term, and you're like, but you're in space, and this is a Star Wars movie. Why? But I think you're right, Ben. That it's like, <laughs> oh, so are we made to believe that like, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, like suffrage movement stuff that just resolved itself and and people only still aren't droids. people still like being a yeah only with droids because presumably and you know 2018 it should be true now even though a lot of people it's not true for a lot of women and it's really unfortunate right that like that the capability of women is still not necessarily recognized in some fields in the united states or in the real world 2018 but right uh-huh. year whatever 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 galactic in Star Wars canon when like if you want to write a movie that suggests that there is a universe where there is no inequality across genders then just write a universe where there's no inequality across genders don't write one where people are still sorting it out right I don't understand that I mean this is a universe with hundreds of alien species and you meet an alien you've never seen before and it's fun it's not like oh I wonder if this guy can do what he can do you just assume he can right exactly but we're still like oh she's probably weak it's like i don't get that (laughs) yeah i mean that is like the real world seeping in and i do think star wars purposely ignores like sexism and everything like you guys are saying like it's it is like post sexism universe in a way i mean it's not post droid rights but it is something else so um i don't know that is such a it is a weird cliche but I, i do think like what we get instead like having amelia clark being a badass throughout the movie and like being very capable in like really moving the plot forward and being interesting more interesting i think than han solo uh, i think it was like worth it so yeah i'm a big fan of her and her performance yeah and i am looking forward to seeing more of her as, sure. as we get the inevitable sequels to this yeah um so um, I have one more thing unless you guys have something else you want to talk about i have something to end on though i wanted to i, I wanted to talk about uh, so my favorite sequence in the entire movie, I really like Dryden Voss's character. Uh, what's the actor's yeah. name? Paul. Uh, Paul Bettany. Bettany. I thought not, he not was. Not a good year for Paul Bettany. He's getting killed very brutally in all his movies. Yeah, fair enough. I thought it was really good. I thought it was similar to, it was like a Thor Ragnarok style sequence where he's like this kind of partying crime lord where you meet him and you're like, oh, he seems pretty laid back, but he's actually just got like a kind of a crazy side. I thought, first of all, I thought they did a good job writing his character, and he acted it really well. Where, um, and we find out after the fact that he actually knew that Woody Harrelson said uh, Beckett hadn't died. But he comes when Han yeah. comes in, and he says that Beckett had died. The guy does a good job of like, even I was like, he's like, I really, you know, I'm very sorry for your loss. And he shakes his hand, and he seems so genuine. And when he gets angry, 
like bring me one of the you know uh, uh yeah the coaxium, coaxium cells and and he's calling for it and then han hesitates and he's like i never ask twice and it was like whoa like he was so good at switching and that's like that is exactly the kind of crime lord persona i want actors to be able to deliver is this like yeah i'm not you know where they would say i'm not crazy like i'm not i'm not crazy i just I don't ask. I've never crazy. asked twice. And, and to everyone else, it's like, well, he's super unstable. He's not in, He's not insane <laughs> enough to be incapable of doing his job, which a lot of crime lords in movies are. It's like, no, he is fully functional, just a psychopath. I thought he was really awesome. But my favorite sequence in the entire movie was when um, the, uh, the teenager gang successfully overthrows... I'm talking about... Um, at the, in the ending sequence. So what was that? What oh, are, the um, Infest Nest. Infest Nest successfully I defeats Dryden's men. And yeah. um, and then so they're in the in Dryden's pleasure yacht. And you have mm-hmm. Chewie and Beckett. And then Han and Dryden are in the room. And Beckett and leaves. And Kira. Beckett leaves. And Chewie goes with him for, I don't know, because there's a blaster in Beckett's hand. But anyway, they leave. And then there's like that like half second of like the... Mexican standoff moment where like no yeah. one has a weapon but everyone knows where one weapon is in all three corners and they dive across the room I thought that was really cool and that was like so Han Solo gunslinger I was I loved that sequence just that that one moment writing that moment into the movie was like that made it for me near the end I was like this yeah. is super cool like because I, I thought about it too like as the door was closing I was like the blaster. Where's the bl- like? Where did the blaster go? <laughs> I don't remember blaster? where the blaster went. And like, oh, I thought it was such an interesting moment. And um, and you had no, a lot of really totally good agree. characters, well written, sitting in a room, and they had to act that sequence out. Um, so I thought that was a really cool part of the movie. Yeah, yeah I do too. I'm on board oh, for uh, appreciating the good parts of this movie too. I feel like we may have uh, <laughs> pi- like really uh, poured it on a little bit, but yeah, that that was bad. a lot of fun. Well, uh, and I'm also there for the Dryden Voss appreciation because I do feel like he was a compelling villain, uh, an interesting guy who it felt like his death had some weight. Uh, felt like it mattered that we met him and saw him go as opposed to, uh, maybe comparing him to Rio and Val where their <laughs> meanings were almost less than pointless. So, um, so yeah, I'm on board with the Dryden Voss appreciation. Yeah, I really liked how, like, gracious he was, right? Like, he goes in there and he's like, oh, like, I'm so sorry I had to hear about Val and Rio. Like, are you okay? Like, is everything fine? And then when they get alone, he's like, all right, it's time for business. Like, yeah. don't, don't – like, you have one job or I'll just kill you. It's very easy for me. I don't care. I already killed one guy today. It yeah. seems like he, he definitely is the character that he uh, – like who would be in the position that he is, you know, he, he, um, has clearly done this for a while, yeah. knows how to manipulate others and stay in charge of a situation. Yeah. He, I mean, the only reason he is defeated is because he underestimates Kira really. Um, and he trusts her and you should trust no one. So they, they kind of bring that theme back a little bit, but yeah, I, I really did like, um, his character and everything. I thought he was well acted and I he thought, did a good job. I thought he, I thought, um, Paul Bettany, delivered that character so well that I was now I'm retroactively kind of thinking I really wish they hadn't opened his character like introduced his character by having him kill the governor of their planet mm. like he just kills the main yeah. leader of their settlement and you're like yeah that's gonna be fine I guess that's not an issue <laughs> nope. and you're like well and so then you think about it and you're like well what did that really do for his character it didn't do anything except introduce us to his his electric knife 
yeah. Right? But that's the only thing is like, he's like, hang on, I might need this later. And you're like, oh, he did need that later. <laughs> that lightsaber, <laughs> sure did. lightsaber knife. That would be awesome on like a yeah. Thanksgiving or something to cut a turkey. But I was <laughs> like, awesome. I don't know. I thought that was, yeah. I was like, in retrospect, I'm like, uh, I don't, I'm not sure that that needed to happen because the way he delivered all his lines, the moment that Han and team walk in was so good to establish his character that that almost seemed out of character, just killing somebody and, mm. you know. Sure, but, like, you also wanted to know that he would do it, I guess, right? Like, you knew he had no reservations about killing people, so... I don't know. I I don't think it... I don't think it hurts, honestly. It just kind of adds. Maybe it is... Maybe maybe it's too much, but I, I think it does establish him even more solidly. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about which is something that we were just hinting at, which is the ending. Um, the the ending for this movie doesn't make any sense at all to me. Um, so, first of all, uh, Han approaches. Oh, this is after Infest Nest uh, reveals that they are actually little girls, and um, Han says, "I'm going to um, give them the stuff and uh, betray Dryden." Right, and and he goes to to Beckett to propose his plan, and Han says this. He says, "I have a plan to get our money and get out from under Crimson Dawn." And I, and my first thought is, yeah, just give him the coaxium like you promised. Like, <laughs> that's a great way to get your money, right? <laughs> anyway, um, that's not what happens. So uh, then then Beckett's like, nah, no thanks. But then he says, oh, by the way, oh, he doesn't say this explicitly, but you know later because he betrays him, right? He says, if you survive me betraying you, meet me on Tatooine. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to this job in Tatooine. By the way, I'm going to betray you. So you know where I'm going, right, if I get out of this. <laughs> if somehow you survive, come find me. Oh, that's true, because he's already decided that he's going to stab him in the back, right, at that and point? And I was so, yeah, yeah, and I was so confused, because I thought Beckett, I, up until Han shot Beckett, I thought Beckett was in on the plan. I thought the plan was Beckett was going to pretend to betray Dryden. And they were going to go together. So I was so confused at the end. I was like, oh, man, like, oh, Beckett's part of this, the whole thing. Oh, it's a really interesting setup heist thing that they have going here. But no, it was actually just two double crosses because Beckett betrays Han. But then Han's like, oh, I knew you were going to do that because you're so predictable. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> then but then but then Beckett betrays Dryden because once he sees the coaxium in his hands. This co- coaxium is so powerful, right? Like it totally co- like undermines Beckett's earlier assumption that if he betrays Dryden, he'll be hunted down like a dog. <laughs> the reason why he didn't want to betray Dryden in the first place is because he was going to be hunted down. So now he's going to betray him now that like the situation is a little bit different. He didn't know Dryden was going to die. He didn't kill him when he left. <laughs> also. Beckett knows who Dryden works for. You know, Dryden actually says, you know who I work for earlier in the movie. So who's he going to, who is he running from now? If he kills Dryden, betrays Dryden, Dryden gets killed, he'll, Darth Maul's coming after him. <laughs> Come on, Beckett, well, use your head. And here's, you're, you make a good point. And what's interesting is like, and this seems like a, a hole in the way that crime works. I'm not much of a criminal myself, but. Sure. Like, how is he going to fence $60 million of starship fuel? If he goes off on his own. So Chewie gets him to the ship. He leaves Chewie. He's like, thanks, man. Don't strangle me to death. Now that I'm carrying this heavy box, and Chewie just, like, pulls it a little hard. The guy falls over, and he just snaps. Anyway. Uh, that's. But, you know, he gets away. Chewie's fine. And then he's got to sell 60 million credits worth of starship fuel. Probably, I guess, to the Rebellion, I'd expect, is the only option he'd have. 
where it wouldn't be obvious to power? Dryden where he had gone. I don't know. That sounds like a whole lot of free trips to the airport to me. Oh, yeah. He just keeps it. <laughs> keeps for bribes. Just keeps flying next to that black hole and then using it to fly out over and over again. Uh, yes. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I agree. I the, the, the en- yeah, the end of this movie did seem like they were trying to. I don't know what they were trying to say. It just seemed like a whole lot all at once. Uh, and for me, the redeeming factor was well, A, yeah, the Mexican standoff was cool. And Darth Maul being brought into the picture was cool, but yeah. they just seemed like there was so much going on, uh, you know, them bringing the rebellion into it, and uh, you know, just, I hated that. It's just I don't know. It was it was messy. You know what? So here's an interesting thing, right? Final moment of Beckett's character, uh, Han and him are standing there, and then Han shoots him. And I swear, yeah. I held my breath the whole dying scene because I was sure he was going to be like, Han, always shoot first. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I God. was sure. I, mean, I did, swear. I like. I yeah. for whatever reason, I was first, like, but... "Here's what they're gonna do. They're gonna be like, just oh, make sure you always shoot first. And then Han is gonna be like, "Thanks, Beckett." And then that was gonna ruin everything forever. That, that would have been really great. I would have loved. That. It would have been but... on theme, honestly, for this movie. <laughs> that was probably the original script. There's only a few script changes. One of them was, "Don't mock Don't everyone." <laughs> Woody Harrelson's like, "I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'll never live that down." I refuse to say That's that. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Han does shoot first, but, um, I mean, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I did like that Woody Harrelson, that uh, Beckett goes, you know, this time I actually was going to kill you, which is an interesting, that was just cool. I just liked that. He was like, yeah. essentially, he was kid. he was almost, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, good call, kid. It was almost like a salute to Han. He's like, you really were going to die this time, so nailed it. <laughs> right, and, and, and I think, because at no point did I really hate Woody Harrelson. I Like, obviously, when he betrayed Han, you're like, oh, no. But then Han saw it coming, so it was like, you're just predictable as opposed to, like, heartbreaking. And uh, yeah. earlier in the movie, we see his relationship with Val as, like, an actual, uh, like, loving relationship, the way that they're, like, sitting by the fire together. And, and like, it just when she died it didn't really seem like it affected woody harrelson all that much and i think that there's an opportunity there for woody harrelson to maybe be um complacent in his own death like uh mm-hmm. like where he he would be ready to die because the love of his life was gone and when han does that maybe it's not so tragic or or just dark to end yeah. woody harrelson uh maybe woody harrelson would be like you know what kid like like, thank you for bringing me peace. But instead, Woody Harrelson de- definitely ignores Val's death after the uh, graves that he dug for them, even though she blasted into a million pieces. So there's definitely nothing to bury. But <laughs> she, like, it, it, I don't know. It just, it it felt good to see Han learn not to trust criminals, I guess, by shooting first. And Woody Harrelson's like, oh, you learned. But also, I'm dead now. Like, <laughs> like that's still no sucks more for to teach. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No. That would have been. You're right. That would have been really nice, like send off. You know, to have like be almost mercy at the end. But yeah, that's not what we got. We didn't get anything nearly that complex. Of course not. Well, that's all I got to talk about. You guys have anything else to talk about? That's all. That's all I got. Yeah. No. Scott, this has been fun, guys. Thanks for bringing me on. It has been. Yeah, no, this was yeah, this is a lot of fun. A really ambitious episode for Affable Chat, having three <laughs> people on here, um, and I I really enjoyed it. So and reviewing and reviewing a movie that's in theaters currently. So yeah, yeah hopefully people. Will oh, did we give a spoiler alert at the beginning? Spo- retroactively, it's spoiler alert to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> if you got to the end, You're listen- sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So thank you two guys for joining me. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. 
Hey, thanks for listening to Affical Chat. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google, uh, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting apps. Please rate us five stars, review us. That really helps us expand our audience. Uh, we love feedback. Please chat with us on Twitter at AffableChat, or you can send us a good old-fashioned email, affablechat at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.